Good morning. Nice to see you. It's nice it's the holidays and we had an extra hour in bed. I was worried I was late and then suddenly I realised I was early and then I was late. Um, yes. So, thank you, Henry. That reference to Noah there just reminds me fleetingly of our assemblies in school this week. This is nothing whatsoever to do with what the passage in a way other than Noah's Ark, but... Um, We've had quite an interesting term with our assemblies, haven't we? Um, so Ruth, who, as you know, isn't well, and we must pray for Ruth, um, has, hasn't been with us, and we've really missed her. And she obviously, um, unbeknownst to me, had obviously been chasing people when it was their turn to lead our Thursday worship at school. With the result that, that not happening, um, it felt to me, apart from once when it felt to Hester, thank you, Esther, um, to, to lead the assembly. And I never had any notice of it at all. I, I was always expecting someone to come. I should have got used to it, but they didn't come. And so on one day, I just looked quickly. Everyone was ready to go. Um, and the passage was Noah's Ark, you see. Okay. So you'd think I should be able to get that one right, wouldn't you? So I appear like this. So imagine your children. Um, and I thought, well, we, we perhaps need to just think a little bit about what that felt like to be Noah's Ark. Esther somehow the following week did exactly the same story, by the way. You won't know this, Esther, and it's fine. It's all right, okay? It's just symptomatic of the weeks of that, of that term's assemblies. So I got everyone to make the noise of the wind com coming. So they did this. Come on, you can, you can play. Come on, come on. Thank you. Listen. And then just little pats of rain. Don't play, come on. See? And then a little bit faster. And at this point, wrongly, I said, and then it got really, really, really heavy. Tap on the floor. Go on. Now, you're so well behaved, you're so well behaved that um, I can still talk over you without the mic as well. We're, and not that the children aren't well behaved, um, but they're very enthusiastic. So when I got to that point, I couldn't hear anything. It was like, bang, 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 bang. And um, in these assemblies, all the parents are sitting at the back, and you always have that sense of, yeah, so what are you going to do about this then, Mrs. East? Um, <laughs> So I said, okay, children, and now it gets quieter. We returned to this, and eventually we got them there. And uh, we'd already put animals in the ark, and Noah was already at the front in the ark. And then it finally went quiet. And then, this is me making a confession. I do love children, you need to know this. But when it went quiet, and then I said, and there was just water everywhere, and all those people disappeared. And I was really pleased. <laughs> anyway, last Thursday, Esther, um, not, we hadn't spoken to each other, went and attempted the same thing. <laughs> Do you remember? And the same thing happened. <laughs> Did it not? He said it rained, and it rained, and it was crazy rain, wasn't it? And again, I felt somewhat frustrated. But anyway, so Noah, the point of that story of Noah, of course, is that um, the people, at least the, the, what Jesus is alluding to in the Luke passage, is that the people were just going around their ordinary business the whole time. And they were laughing at Noah and mocking him. But Noah had heard God speaking to him and believed in God and heard what he said. And even though it was the craziest, craziest thing, 
in a way, you know, to build an ark a long way from a river, a long way from the sea. He did it, and, so, and everyone mocked him and laughed at him and went about their own ways. But the one who believed in God was the one that uh, came through. Anyway, moving to this passage. Um, and the kingdom of God. And this new, um, this, this part of Luke where we're starting to really understand that Jesus is heralding a new age, a new kingdom. Of course, those people, not least Mary, but Elizabeth, Simeon, Zacharias, Anna, um, had all, and John the Baptist, had all seen in Jesus some sign and had recognized that he was the new Messiah, the new king. His disciples at this point who are gathered around him have an understanding that he's a very special person um, and they've, you know, they're, they've grown very close to him and they're following him. Um, the Pharisees, on the other hand, who he's speaking to here, um, are suspicious of him. They, the Pharisees, remember, are in cahoots with the Romans. They are, uh, in a way, though, they're still very nationalistic. The Jews want a new king, but they want a kingdom which is a here and now kingdom, a political entity. And, and people are all, at this time are always saying the, the, the Messiah is coming, you know, we're expecting the Messiah. And here, in verse 20, um, it says, Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And uh, sometimes that could be translated or understood as within you. So, one, I think the Pharisees are trying to trip Jesus up here. They're asking him one of those questions because they don't think he's the. They don't think that um, he's got anything to do with the kingdom of God at all. They don't think he's the Messiah. But they're asking this question about when the kingdom of God would come in order to trip him up. And Jesus, in his reply, explains really clearly that this is not something that technically you can observe. The word observed there is a bit like, um, and Luke, we understand as a doctor, is observing a patient for symptoms. That kind of idea, clinical observation. So trying to figure out when the kingdom of God is coming is not something that you can do, that you should be looking out for in that way. Saying here it is or there it is. Did you know actually that um, a few uh, couple of weeks ago when we had the red moon, the... the um, do you remember the big red moon? Actually, I did, I did see it briefly, but it didn't look very red to me. It was a bit, and I was sleepy anyway. But um, in uh, various parts of the world, but notably in Utah, um, a pastor there decided that that was it, that that was going to be the beginning of the end of the world. That was the second coming. He worked it out looking at um, the, the cycles of the moon, the fact that this was the fourth one of those um, red moons, blood moons um, in a certain period of time and he worked out that all the other ones coincided with great events and there was a rush on the supermarkets everybody went and got lots and lots of stuff together 
to be ready for the end of the world and the beginning of, of God's kingdom, the second coming. Um, obviously, two days later, he had to change his mind on that. <laughs> um, you can follow that. It's, it's quite an interesting... Um, it's, it's quite interesting how genuine, pe sort of serious people can go off on these ideas, which is why I think Luke has put that in the Bible here. And, and then, in verse 22, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. Jesus knows, doesn't he, that he, he's going to die and, and he's going to leave them. He is going to ascend to heaven, as our lovely window shows us, <coughs> And they will be bereft, just as we are bereft when someone we love dies. And he knows that in their loss and in their desperation, they'll be vulnerable. And when people start to say, there's the Messiah, they could be tempted to look in that direction or to try and go after something else to give them some kind of spiritual security. And he's warning them of this now. We do know that at this time, historically, there were a lot of false prophets and false messiahs. It was a kind of thing that happened. It was an occurrence, if you like. And we also know, well, some, some this is a very sort of argued over passage, so it's not an easy one to preach on, actually. But um, some theologians look at this and see a reference to the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And we know that at that time, there were people putting themselves forward all the time as messiahs, you know, I'm the one, I'm the one, follow me, follow me. Um, but Jesus says, for the Son of Man in his day will be the, like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So if the return, the, the return of Jesus is, is going to be something so monumental that it flashes across the entire sky so that everyone can see and hear what is happening, then he's saying, unless you see that, you are not seeing the, the second coming. And, and he lets them know about that. Then he goes on to, the, he, then he goes on to Noah, and, and really is stressing the, the everyday life of those people, how they just carried on doing the same old, same old usual thing, eating, drinking, you know, daily routine. They carried on doing, doing that, but suddenly everything will change. It's going to be like that. And he tells them to look out for that. Verse 30, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them because it's going to be quick and you have to leave quickly. Now, this reference to the sack of um, Jerusalem in AD 70, this is that because at that time, when the armies gathered around Jerusalem and before they started to attack, the Christians left we don't hear much about that, but the Christians left. H hundreds of people, thousands of people 
were slaughtered. And as you know, the temple was destroyed by the Romans. And if you go to Rome, there's the archway there that has got around the side of it. It shows the Jews in chains and the seven-branched candlestick. Um, and at that point, Jerusalem was totally destroyed. Um, but interestingly, uh, the Christians, perhaps having heard this and remembering it, had gone. Um, and that business about not going back for stuff is interesting, isn't it? The previous passages are talking about wealth and how we can get tied down to the world by wealth. You remember recently there was a plane that landed, um, there was, the engine was on fire and the people had to come out on the escape chutes, do you remember? And they slowed everything down because people grabbed their bags first. Do you remember that? Do you remember reading about that? Um, what Jesus is saying here is, no, you choose between me and this wealth, this, uh, these possessions, your worldly life. That's your choice. When I come, which way are you going to go? And he's saying, don't look back. Don't be like Lot's wife. Keep going forwards. I wonder if she looked back and thought, I've forgotten something, you know, like that. <coughs> and this... Um, I think what's important about this new age and this second kingdom is our understanding it as Christians. So we know that when Jesus was born, that was the, kingdom, that was the beginning of the promised kingdom. Jesus was alive, as we, we know that, and lived his life and had his ministry, that, that people saw him and understood his presence. But he died and went to heaven then we're a bit confused, what happened then? And then we believe and we say in the creed, don't we, that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. So we believe in Jesus who was and is and is to come. It's amazing. And this kingdom hasn't got a temporal realm. It hasn't got boundaries like Britain, you know, the island. It hasn't got a place where there's a, a frontier if you're in a landlocked country. There's no frontier where they're putting up a wall to stop refugees getting in. There's no mark in the sand. This side is one country, this side is the other. The kingdom of God is over that and through that and everywhere. And this kingdom has come, is coming, and will be. And as Christians we have a kind of dual nationality. Because all, all of us will, I mean, if I ask you what nationality are you, um, some of you will say English, some of you will say British, some might say European, some might say Scottish, I might say Yorkshire, you know. Um, you all have that sense of belonging to a particular fixed place, a place you remember. Hazel, thinking of Ethiopia, where her husband is buried. She might have that place in her heart, but all of us, and at my school, we've got 28 different languages spoken, lots of nationalities. We have one allegiance to a particular place, a particular country, but as Christians, we have this membership, we have this citizenship of this other amazing kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus. And that is a very exciting thing. The passage goes on and talks in verse 33. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. 
I think that helps us, that helps to tune our minds as to how we live our lives, how we choose to live our lives, because our lives can end so quickly, and the lives of those we love can end so quickly. And the older you get, the nearer you are to knowing that your life is going to end. When you're in your 20s, you know, you think you're here forever, but when you've sort of get to the halfway point, you become more interested in wills and things like that. Um, because there's another way into the eternity of God's kingdom, and that is through our deaths. So when Jesus says, I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken and the other left. There is that sense of being left, there is a sense that one has gone, but what about the one that's still here? How does that feel? And for the one who's gone, where have they gone? Or does it mean that they've been taken off to be judged, that God's judgment has come? But my feeling is that sense of loss, which we as humans experience, is really, really profound. It's something we choose often not to talk about, it affects our lives. But when we know that somehow God is there, God loves us, Jesus has been in this place. He too has died and is risen and will come again. That gives a great depth to our love for one another. The best way of understanding the kingdom is to read the books by C.S. Lewis. You can read one a day. They're really easy to read. And I'm just going to finish by reading the very last, at the end of the very last book, which is called The Last Battle. And in this, um, the children, who thought they were never going to go back to Narnia, which is like God's kingdom, um, the children find themselves suddenly there again. And this is what they see. So I hope this is all right, everyone. I can't tell by looking at you whether you're happy to hear this or not. But So here we go. Um, so this is Lucy. Lucy looked hard at the garden and saw that it was not really a garden, but a whole world with its own rivers and woods and sea and mountains. But they were not strange. She knew them all. I see, she said. This is still Narnia, and more real and more beautiful than the Narnia down below, just as it was more real and more beautiful than the Narnia outside. I see a world within a world, Narnia within Narnia. And Lucy looked this way and that, and soon found that a new and beautiful thing had happened to her. Wherever she looked, however far away, once she had fixed her eyes steadily on something, it became quite clear and close as if she was looking through a telescope. She could see the whole southern desert and beyond it the great city of Caer Paravel. And far out to sea she could see the islands, island after island to the end of the world and beyond the end, the huge mountain which they had called Aslan's country. She cried out, Peter, Edmund, come and look, come quickly. And they came and looked. Why, exclaimed Peter, it's England. And that's the house itself, the house where they played as children. 
I thought that house had been destroyed, said Edmund. So it was, but you are now looking at the England within England, the real England, just as this is the real Narnia. And in that inner England, no good thing is destroyed. And they carried on looking. And then Peter and Edmund and Lucy gasped with amazement and shouted out and began waving, for there they saw their own father and mother waving back at them across the great deep valley. It was like when you see people waving at you from the deck of a big ship when you are waiting on the quay to meet them. How can we get to them, asked Lucy. That's easy, said Mr. Tumnus. That country and this country are real countries. Are, they're just spurs jutting out from the great mountains of Aslan. We have only to walk along the ridge, upward and inward, till it joins on and listen. There is the horn. We must all go up. Anyway, they walk on and on. And he finishes with this. He sees the children see Aslan. And as he spoke, he no longer looked at them like a lion. But things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Really, this is, I know, I know it's a children's story and you'll forgive me, I'm a primary school teacher, but this wonderful place that goes on forever where each chapter is better than the chapter before, that is the kingdom of God that we will ourselves experience one day and which at the moment we are working towards bringing in and we just catch a glimpse of it now and again. And we need to keep our eyes on Jesus as the next passages we're going to look at next time. He asks us to pray for that kingdom. We're kingdom workers, and we're bringing that kingdom in. How exciting is that? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the lives you have given us, for the hope you give us in our hearts, for calling us to be citizens of your kingdom. Thank you. Help us, Lord. Help us to share that good news. Help us to understand what that means. Help us, Lord, to be true to you. Amen.